welcome to another episode of This Is HCD. My name is Jerry Scullion and I'm a human-centred design practitioner based in Sydney, Australia. Before we jump in, however, as this podcast was recorded in the Sydney CBD, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation as the traditional custodians of the land where we meet today and pay respect to their elders, both past and present. In this episode, we caught up with Eduardo Kranz, who is a design director at Fjord Camera. We discussed where the service design and UX professions intersect in respects to the skills and activities that are done on a day-to-day basis. We didn't get into the defining of what service design is or isn't, or any of the other semi-contentious issues around the two practices. Speaking for myself, this was a really fun episode to record. We had lots of laughs in between takes, and for anyone who has worked or knows Eduardo will know just how funny he can be. Hopefully we managed to capture some of that fun in this episode. So let's jump straight in. Eduardo, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Jerry, for inviting me. No worries. You've come all the way from camera today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a short trip over to Sydney. How did you get up? By plane. Oh, okay, by plane. You didn't drive. No, I had to use all those Qantas points to get here. I know, absolutely. Eduardo, let's let's kick this off because we could be here all night. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about your involvement with how you got into human-centered design. So I got into human-centered design, I think, partially by need. I come from a graphic design background, but I was always very interested in building websites and understand mm-hmm. what's the purpose behind the websites. And then from there, I think out of interest, I start diving into user interface design, followed by user experience design. And there on, um, based on need, I start sort of graduating my, my thought towards service design as well. And really moving from there, sort of detail oriented around a product and a particular problem and moving to um, sort of more holistic approach and looking at the whole service and a series of different problems that can be solved. Great. So where are you working at the moment? So currently I'm working with Fjord in Canberra. So I'm the design director for the Canberra studio leading the government and health sector of our work that we're doing in Australia. All right, okay. Which kind of leads us on nicely to today's topic. So we're going to be looking at the intersection of service design and user experience. And I know this is quite a contentious topic for some practitioners out there and I've been following stuff on Twitter this week. So some questions related to service design and how it actually relates to user experience. Are they the same thing? Some people believe that, um, you know, if you're a good UXer, you know, like Don Norman's description of what UX is, really does it encompass service design? So Eduardo, maybe tell us a little bit about your experience with this topic and where it originated. I think it's a very interesting topic, particularly based on the previous experience that I have had transitioning from UX to service design. There is a lot of opportunity to learn from each other and actually leveraging the the detail and, and the craft that comes from UX design as well as the ecosystem and broad thinking that comes from service design. And due to the requirements of the intersect, I think that there is definitely a lot of conversations that can be started so we can understand what are the things that each one can bring to the table and mm. more importantly, why each other can learn from these interactions so we can provide better um, human-centered solutions across the board. All right, okay. So like today, I know we definitely want to avoid the conversation about what service design is and also what user experience is and how they differ. We're going to focus purely on those two roles and the two mindsets, if you want, how they intersect and what does that relationship look like. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe, maybe tell me a little bit more about that. Personally, I believe that UX design has definitely crafted a path for service design uh, as well as service design has created a lot of opportunities for UX design to come to the picture as well. Mm. In the sense, the, the intersect, um, it's particularly the area where the strategic thinking and the ecosystem thinking that goes into service design to understand 
what are the different problems they need to solve for a specific human across the board? Either being interactions between a citizen and a government or a particular customer with a, a series of services across a bank. Um, mm. It can be really uh, beneficial to understand what is the journey that the customer is going to be having and what's the particular problems that we need to tackle along the way. Mm. From a UX perspective, every single problem that we solve with a human-centered design approach do create benefits for the customer at that particular level. But also there are repercussions of actually introducing new products and services to a broader ecosystem level as well. Mm. So for instance, imagine that you actually have a bank and part of their bank service is their home loans and you have a great UX experience with applying your home loan, which is very easy to use and we actually provide a lot of value. But when you look at the other experiences they might have across the service, if they're not aligned or not necessarily tackling the same problems, you start providing misdirection regards to expectations mm-hmm. and perhaps how a service as a whole can actually deliver value. So that's where actually service design can benefit from UX designers. Mm. But the other way around as well. So if you have a service that actually delivers value to the customer in a consistent way, and one particular product or touchpoint does not deliver to the same level of expectations, you all of a sudden have a very broken experience. And we all know that often the broken experience are the one that we remember instead of actually mm. being the overall picture. Yeah, so like using the bank as a, as a good example, because I know a lot of the banks out there have invested heavily in UX and they've got strong capabilities, but not all the banks have got a strong service design capability. Not that I know of anyway. Mm-hmm. They tend to outsource that thinking and hence why the big consultancies like Fjord yeah. uh, exist because they provide that specialty. But from the practitioner's perspective in UX, it's almost seen as you know, it's a, it's a step up or it's an advancement to their career to work in service design. So what are your thoughts on that topic? I would say that I disagree that necessarily is a step up. I think it's just a different way of thinking. Mm. So you can have a UX practitioner that might start moving towards service design, not necessarily because they want to grow in their career, but just because their focus has shifted. As, as all humans, we grow our interests and they change. And over time, mm. you might not necessarily be focused on particularly a touch point or a product or a specific set of experiences as your focus point. And you want to actually see the broader picture and solve multiple problems at a higher level. So I think it's more about a preference and one necessarily the set of skills as something that you grow over time. Mm. You might have UX designers as well that do have tendencies to be service designers because they see the opportunities across the whole ecosystem. Mm. As well as you might have UX designers that are very focused and craft very tailored and delightful experiences in a detailed level that often uh, service designers might not even realize. Mm. As well, the other way around, you might have people that can actually look at the whole ecosystem and solve service problems mm. in a meaningful way and consistent way across the whole journey or the value chain for a customer. Mm. But they may or may not be able to dive into the detail and they actually get the input and say, I think that this particular set of languages or words will actually be able to deliver or craft mm. a much more meaningful experience. Yeah, And that's where the benefit of actually having service designers working with UX designers and UX designers working service designers, really actually can change the way that a service as a whole can be delivered. Because when we look into the detail where what really makes a product, it's beyond a set of interactions. It's what does the support look like? What's the language? What does visual design look like? Mm. And also, where is that particular set of interactions, skills, and experience being placed along the whole journey? 
So when I hear all those skills and activities being listed out there, I know there's people out there in UX that are going to say, I do that. I do that as well. So I guess um, what I'm really interested in, going back to today's topic, is the uh, intersection. Who owns what and why? It's a great question. And I really, I really believe that at the end of the day, who owns the whole thing is, I would say, perhaps in a bit controversial way, it's the customer. Mm. With that to actually service the customer, independent of being the service designer or the UX designer. What we actually are is looking at what's the perspective of actually looking in servicing the specific set of needs. And we have, in some cases, similar tools, which actually give us a lot of uh, common ground to actually drive conversations, as well as different tools in, certain, in other areas as well. And if we look at them at that particular area of the intersect, if we focus very much on the customer being the owner of the outcome and the person that can really validate, are we doing the right thing? Are we driving value to the customer? I think that what we actually should be focusing on is what's the story that we're crafting for the customer? Are we actually creating a meaningful story from end to end? Are we actually answering to the value that they need at the points in time that they need? And that's something that it really changes perhaps the discussion from being tools and skills, but really Mm -hmm. focus on empathy, storytelling, and what's the detail they have on their story. Yeah. If we tell a story from a service level, it could be quite broad, but if you go into the UX level, you need to be quite detailed enough to really create the storyline behind the interface and the impact their particular experience will be mm. creating to the customer. Okay, so just going back to the original question of, of who owns what. So let, let's play a, um, a hypothetical scenario here of an agency, a big consultancy, we're not going to name any agencies, mm-hmm. that are brought into an organization and they've got a UX team and the service design um, capability has been brought in-house, they may ruffle some feathers with the UX team and they may kind of go, okay, well, why are they doing that? Well, we do that work anyway. What, in your experience, how do you handle that? I think it's, it'll be the, the type of approach that they'll come to the door. I think, first of all, we need to understand that respectfully, we all have different perspectives around the same problem. Mm. So often when, um, if there is the type of scenario that consultancy comes through the door with that intent to actually revamp everything, Mm. I think it's very disconsiderate of the existing work. It's very much understanding what has been done, what's the storyline that's being created, and does the storyline that each one of the different UX teams perhaps is creating, does that convey the same storyline that strategic thinking is looking at? Does it answer to the brand values? Mm. Um, and when a putting all those elements in perspective, all of a sudden we're actually not necessarily discussing what each team is going to be contributing or who owns what, but as I said, coming together to understand if this is the story that our brand wants to tell, and that perhaps as the service level, it's that story should be the opportunity to bring together all the different UX journeys and stories and, and products that are actually a part of the ecosystem and make sure that we're creating a seamless experience for the customer. So would I say that the UX team owned the, the product story and the storyline around the specific product? Yes. Would I say that the service design team has input into that? Also. But also I would say that the UX team has... Um, the knowledge to input into the overall brand story as well. All right. So, Eduardo, just moving on from that, in your experience, how is this currently being executed in businesses that you've worked in and what problems are you seeing amongst the teams? I would say that based on my experience, I've seen a fair few um, areas that confusion exists, particularly who does what role and how some people should be able to do some, some things and some other people shouldn't be able to do. 
Mm. In addition to that, I think that if you take an example of a a waterfall approach where a service design team completes a project and they hand over the outcomes into one or many UX design teams to go into further detail. I think that that's a, a particularly a, a big area of where problems can come and originate from. Now it's about creating that transparency of what's the intent the service design actually created for a particular service. And then when a UX design team picks that up, and they dive into the detail that has to go into to create an ideal experience for the customer, there is a lot of more questions that actually come up. And having a good transfer of intent enables a UX team to actually go into the detail and really provide the best possible outcome at that level as well. Okay. I know, I'm just looking at the Slack channel, there's some questions that have come out today. One from Nathaniel Coyne down in Canberra, where he's trying to ask the question about who's superior to who in the chain he believes that um, maybe there's a pattern there where service designers are perceived as being elevated to user experience. So I'm keen to get your thoughts on that. I think it's something that we started to touch before in the conversation, which is about what's the the lens that you're looking at a problem? Are you looking wide and broad and really trying to solve a series of problems across uh, mm. various stages of um, customer lifecycle or a, a series of interactions? Or are you looking at one particular set of problems which um, are neatly tied together and uh, going to the detail will probably be giving you the best possible outcome. So I wouldn't say that one is better than the other. I think there are different points of view on how to solve mm. different kinds of problems. Yeah, And different people would have great set of skills to solve detail problems as well as so- other people will have great skills to solve a variety of problems. Mm. We spoke earlier about product management and exactly. in episode two with Adrian Tan and Martin Dowson were we discussed a lot of these topics about the broken comb where certain areas where product management people might be much better at, at certain things than I am, but I might be much stronger in a lot of other areas and that's what makes me um, a service designer. Mm. And, and not necessarily um, that one is better than the other, as you mentioned, mm. it's the set of skills and, and how you apply those skills. And um, because the vast majority of designers do follow a um, human-centered design approach, we have mm. um, a good number of commonalities around the tools and, and practices and the pillars around human-centered design. Mm. However, some of the tools are very much tailored to service design. Some other tools are tailored to use experience design. Yeah. And um, being practitioners, we become really good at certain tools, which make us able to solve problems in different ways, more efficient than other ways. Mm. So would it be fair to say that not every service designer can be a user experience designer and vice versa. I would say that with experience, I think that both sides of the fence will be able to see opportunities across the fence or being added into the detail or the water ecosystem. Mm. Uh, just the same way there will be people that will thrive in the service design area because it's broad and vast and you're thinking quite broadly into mm. something and going into much depth. Or as well as UX designers be able to go into a lot of detail and really drive um, outcomes that are very valuable at one point in time. And I wouldn't say necessarily that they cannot be. I think that we kind of have people that across the most variety of the design fields. We have the unicorns that can do everything. Lucky few. Uh, and as well as people that thrive with uh, a particular set of tools and the craft, other being across service design as well as UX mm. design. And I, it's it's really interesting because like I'm still not convinced that service designers they can become great UXers and stuff. I think service design is a specific skill that some people really struggle at that level to to think laterally and mm. uh, to be really effective in those roles. But that's just my own my own opinion. Mm. 
it's how you perceive the world. There are people that mm. actually are very good into know things into the detail and they thrive at that level. Yeah. But I think that if you look at the, the broader aspect, it's something that over time, you might see people that fluctuate between UX into service design uh, yeah. as well as from service design into UX. Mm. It might be something that a certain topic makes you really passionate and you actually want to get into the detail. But as you mentioned, there are people that incline and have an aptitude to go yeah. into that level. and, and They I naturally will, just move into it. Exactly. And I yeah. would say that if they do have the aptitude and they do have the ability, they should actually push their abilities to the max and really try to thrive into the UX field, the service design field, mm. both um, if they can, and um, not necessarily uh, use a label to create boundaries about the work that they do. At the yeah. end of the day, we all trying to apply human-centered design and human-centered yeah. design comes in all different flavors and sizes. And we got to learn how to work together and be effective really mm. a, as a team especially if two worlds are coming together like a consultancy and the organization that have hired that consultancy. Yeah. They need to work collaboratively and effectively together. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Eduardo, like we were, we're talking about, you go out and you do your research and you do your field research and you've done your blueprints and you've, you've understood the organizational structure and you've come back and you've identified opportunities that you want to work towards. You want to, you're going to start splicing. I don't like using that word splicing, but you're going to start um, identifying the opportunities for the business Walk me through what activities that you've done to help ensure that those ideas reach fruition. Mm-hmm. So particularly around service design, that's where when you have the blueprint and identify the opportunity areas, that's where UX design comes really handy. And a particular um, a, a team member with a UX design set of skills will be able to add more value because articulating an opportunity is great. But there's many different ways that we can solve those opportunities and, and bring those new areas of exploration into reality. Mm. So having somebody that is being along the journey with the service design team with a UX set of skills can automatically dive. What if I can add a little bit more detail around this opportunity area so we can craft other service concept or perhaps a little uh, set of interactions or a light prototype. Mm. So what we can create is meaning and context around how can we solve a certain opportunity area. What does that look like? I would say that depending on the service concept or the area of opportunity, let's say that you have opportunity around a new retail store. What you could actually do that is to, how can we prototype the retail store? Or if you actually have um, a digital interface, having somebody with a strong UX set of skills to actually say that this is the opportunity area, this is the narrative. I've been along the journey and I know exactly what the research has been. Mm. You have enough context to say, well, let me prototype about six, seven, eight screens. So I can actually have perhaps a very high level validation of are we going in the right direction? Mm. And that's where UX design brings a lot of value for service design. Yeah. Same way if we flip the coin and we say we have the set of screens and you have six, seven screens and that gets handed over to a UX team. That's not really enough for you to start actually driving all of a sudden the creation of the entire product. Mm. Uh, understand all the features that you're going to have there. There's a lot of work and that's where yeah. product managers, a bigger UX design team, as well as service designers and stakeholders should come together and craft What's the storyline around this product or service mm. that we're trying to create? Okay, so you, I'm just trying to like look at it from my own experience. I'm actually an industrial designer, and um, whenever we were training, we'd always do the sketches. Mm. And the sketches could be of products that haven't been formed and we haven't prototyped them yet. So what I'm hearing here is more like the service design role is more like that initial sketch, that outline of, of what a product could be. But you're not really focusing on the mechanics at that stage and the user experience Consultants would be looking at the mechanics of the product. 
mm. and the ergonomics would be something that you might collaboratively work on together. Yeah. And that's that kind of meeting point and that's that intersection of where the two worlds coincide. And, and what he sits at the very intersection point, in, in my belief, is what's the story they're creating? What's the impact that this product is going to be creating yeah. from a customer perspective? Mm. So when we create a service blueprint, there's a narrative. Yeah. And, and if you take an um, opportunity area, there's a particular narrative that has been created around the opportunity area. Mm. And if you take that and start adding detail, but mm. not from a service design, but from a UX design or actually adding definition around what's the narrative will really look like. Mm. Let's say that um, customer A interacts with product B and customer A gets outcome C from interacting with the product. Yeah, It's great. It identifies an opportunity area for a new product. Mm. But between step one and step two, we have a wealth of steps and, and interaction, points. interaction points that actually can yeah. be added to and that's where the value of having this combined multidisciplinary team mm. creates. Yeah, and I guess like when you're working in those organizations, you're going to have your sponsor and you're going to have your senior stakeholders who are owning those pieces. What tactics have you found really useful in helping get the vision across to those people who, who don't play in the design space, mm. who don't understand the, the differences between UX and mm. UI, let alone UX and service design? So there must be some skills and must, must be little things that you do to help ensure that, that vision gets across. What I, what I came to realize, which was I was quite surprised, often between UX and services, I use storyboards to communicate, and mm. we use them at various levels. Mm. When we're trying to communicate the impact of a product in the customer's life, and particular product that has never been seen or a competitor yeah. doesn't have, or we don't have necessarily it, a reference, it's intangible. Creating empathy through storyboards, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. If you can enact those storyboards into reality, let's say if it's a new physical experience, what if you just prototype that and actually mm-hmm. storyboard step by step how it's going to feel like going through the physical experience. Mm-hmm. And you have enough detail in the storyboard, in, you get into a stage there, you almost can question what is that interaction should look like. Yeah, And from there, you start questioning other things as well. Like, does it need to be a digital interaction? Could we actually have this happening in another part of the service? Mm. And it really um, allows you to filter down to what's the essence of the product that we need to create mm. and uh, enables UX designers to really focus on what's the core impact that what we design needs to be creating so we can create this customer vision instead mm. of what's the features that we need to create yeah. for the customer. And I know um, you work with, with Andy, Andy Blaney. He's got a great metaphor we've mentioned it before in the podcast of like the director and the, and the whole kind of movie industry um it sounds like you're using that storyboard is kind of like those early stages of, of drafting a movie like like a movie director is mm-hmm. that fair to say i believe so and and it's funny enough that, that you bring the the metaphor because if you look at the storyboards that often movies create they actually are a bit around the service level i would say yeah they actually get scene one, scene two, scene three, and you actually get to get a sense of what the, the whole narrative will be. Yeah. But a lot of the detail is actually created in the set, and they, it, that's the role of the director to actually get the, mm. the actors to behave in a certain way. Yeah. And if you look at, at the same way, what we're trying to create with a story-driven intersection, it's, it's very much of how can we actually bring all the people that are going to be creating the scene or the actors yeah. And help them to create the detail. Come to life. And come to life. Yeah, I know, using, keeping on with this analogy, if you had 10 screens and they all made up the beginning, middle and end, if you were to pull one of the pieces out in the middle, it wouldn't make sense because yeah. it's not within the context of, of the flow of information. Yeah. 
So um, I think that's something we need to consider as well. Mm -hmm. And even when you're actually adding the detail, it's something that I learned from a colleague of mine, Cheryl Lee Ryan, um, that often the best part of the interaction happened between two scenes in a storyboard. Mm -hmm. And you really need to dive into those two steps and understand that until you start actually opening those steps and get to a level that you cannot go further because you're just adding screens for the sake of it, yeah. then you we might not have enough detail to actually drive the interface. Yeah. I'm not saying that you wouldn't have enough context, but perhaps you might not actually uncover perhaps the one point in time that you could perhaps have removed the screen or two and it created a simpler and smarter experience for the customer. Yeah, okay. So, Eduardo, we're coming to the end of this episode, and I'm sure you're aware there's there's three questions, the three questions from hell, which Mark usually does, but Mark is still away on holidays. Mm. So we're going to start off this segment. So tell us, what is the one professional skill that you wish you were better at? Wow, are you going to laugh at this? But it's definitely I am definitely going to laugh at this. Communication. Communication. <laughs> and it's it's not due to my accent, um, no. as much as I would believe they might have played a role before. Tell the listeners where you're from, first of all. I'm from Brazil. Okay, so it just continues. We're going back to your communication piece. And I think that sometimes um, I have, personally, I have the tendency to really build the context around the story. And you might have got from the podcast as we talked today. <laughs> uh, but particularly, uh, I think communication is not necessarily how much you communicate, but how well you communicate. And mm. the way that actually um, I surpass the, the challenges that I have there is actually building that through context. And mm. context can come either through talking more, which sometimes not necessarily may help, but also how can you visualize? So often when I try to explain things, I use visual aids to actually add context in different mediums to actually communicate more efficiently. Okay. Um, second question. What is the one thing in the industry that you wish you'd be able to banish? That's a good one. Um, right now, at this point in time, I probably would say labels. Um, I think that people sometimes get really precious in regards to what's the label around what I do. I think we all are humans trying to make the world more human. And in the sense, applying human-centered design, it's about have different focus points, mm -hmm. have different outcomes, perhaps, mm -hmm. on the work that we do. But most importantly, um, staying truthful to, to the humans that we're trying to, to provide value to. Yeah. And I think that being a service designer, there has been a UX designer in the past, there has been a UI interface designer prior to that, I think that my thinking may have shifted in focus or perhaps the type of problems they are solved. Yeah. The people that I'm trying to impact has stayed truthful along the way as yeah. well. Excellent. Um, amen to that. It's mm. a hit a point. So what is the message that you give to emerging human-centered design talent for the future? Probably I would say that considering the, the way that the market is going, to really try to differentiate yourself. Mm. And I would say that you can do that through collecting experiences, trying new things, push the boundaries. If you're a great interface designer, what if you actually push yourself to the point that you might be learning development? Or mm. if you're a great UX designer, try to solve bigger problems and not go into the detail. Mm. Get yourself out of your comfort zone uh, will be uh, the key fundamental thing to be able to get new talent coming to the market or uh, new talent already in the market to really shine in the future years. Eduardo, thank you so much for being here. It's an absolute pleasure to, to chat with you today. Fantastic. Thanks so much for inviting me, Jerry. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you'd like to be part of the conversation or community, hop on over to thisishcd.com, where you can request to join the Slack channel and help shape future episodes and connect with other designers around the world. Thanks for listening and see you next time.